to episode 151 of the Jambase podcast. Jambase is a proud partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. And I'm your host, Scott Bernstein. On this episode, we'll hear my interview with Lake Street Dive bassist Bridget Carney about lots of happenings in the Lake Street Dive world. Stay tuned for that interview after a few words about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Soundscape VR. Groundbreaking virtual reality platform Soundscape VR is enabling a new generation of live concerts, music experiences, and sound visualization. Proving that Soundscape VR is the most immersive, innovative, and creative music metaverse, VR concert performances are now available from jam scene favorites Goose and Pigeons playing ping pong. They join Soundscape VR artists, including improv rockers Unfreeze McGee and Dopapod, Guns N' Roses guitar Slash, EDM favorite Grizz, multi-platinum selling rock band Evanescence, and others. Visit soundscapeuniverse.com to learn more. We're just a few weeks away from New Year's Eve, which is my favorite night of the year to go see live music. It was tough sitting home the past two New Year's Eves due to the pandemic after going to concerts each and every December 31st, dating back to 1993. Well, that's when I was just 16 years old. Jambase has put together a guide to some of the New Year's Eve 2022 concerts happening near you. Head to jambase.com to find an upcoming New Year's Eve show in your area and across the country. I'll be at Madison Square Garden for Fish, and I can't wait to see what the band has in store. Now back to Bridget, who plays bass and is the principal songwriter in Lake Street Dive, one of my favorite bands. I caught up with her recently via video chat from her Brooklyn home, where she was enjoying a rare respite from the road. We spoke about touring in the wake of the pandemic to start our chat. Carney went on to preview Lake Street Dive's Pajama Party New Year's Eve concert in Boston and their Gather Around Sound semi-acoustic tour. The run takes place early next year, and Bridget spoke about the inventive format the band came up with. We also discussed Lake Street Dive's recently released Fun Machine, the sequel EP, featuring six choice covers, as well as their tradition of putting out cover videos on Halloween. Some of the other topics we hit upon were Bridget going electric, LSD contributing a theme song to a Netflix series, the next Lake Street Dive studio album, and our BB Wisely project. Listen to my interview with Bridget Carney, which will lead into with one of my favorite Lake Street Dive songs, Good Kisser. And if you like what you hear, please leave a rating and comment on the podcast provider of your choice. If you're gonna tell them everything, tell them I'm a good kisser. Tell them all the things you told me In your desperate whisper If you're gonna tell them everything Don't leave out the good part Tell them the way that you broke my heart When you told me that you missed her Welcome, Bridget Carney, to the Jam Base Podcast. How are you doing, Bridget? Doing great. Thanks. Where am I finding you right now? 
I'm uh, at, in my own home today, which is um, rare these days. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm happy to say I'm here in Brooklyn at home. Excellent. I'm not too far away on the Upper West Side. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Well, you know, it's now we're over a year removed from the release of the last full length Lake Street Dive album, obviously. And you guys did a lot of press for the album. What were some of your most fun experiences in support of Obviously? Um, I think probably just the tour itself was uh, the most fun and especially because that was some of our first touring coming out of a pause from touring during um, COVID lockdown. So yeah, those first couple of shows returning to the stage were like really remarkably charged. Um, I think for us and for the audience as well, it was something that everyone who enjoys music had been missing um, for a long time. And so we felt a lot of gratitude to be on the stage again and just joy to get to play these songs when for a while there, it felt like we wouldn't be able to. And the album was completed before the pandemic, right? Yes. We, uh, in 2020, we, we went to a festival in Mexico in February and then played on the Kayamo cruise also in February and then straight into, um, the studio in Nashville for about a month. And so we were blissfully, oblivious to this looming shadow of, of, uh, what might be coming at us and, uh, pretty much walked out of the studio, flew home and went straight into lockdown. So yeah, we were glad that we, um, were able to finish it and didn't have to, uh, face that challenge, which a lot of other bands had to do is like, figure out how are we going to make this next record? How, you know, we live in different cities. How are we going to get together safely? Um, so fortunately we had the record done, but it took us about a year to put it out just cause it felt like it wasn't the right time. And there was so much uncertainty about getting on the road and stuff too. So, um, so yeah, we, we sat on it for, for some time and that was another reason that it just felt really joyful to finally release it. Well, speaking of joy, um, you know, Lake Street Dive was formed in, in Boston and you'll be returning to the city where the band was birthed for a New Year's Eve concert at Roadrunner. Um, as a huge fan of sleepwear myself, um, it really was pumped to see that it's described as a pajama party. Have you ever played publicly in your sleepwear before? I don't think that I have. <laughs> um, yeah, but my wardrobe goes... There's a, a gaping hole normally between like what I wear on stage and then just pajamas. Like there's not much in between those two things. Um, and so, yeah, when when we just wanted to change it up in some way, it was like, well, we all we all have pajamas. So let's just do that. And it's you know, it's it's New Year's Eve. So it'll be a little later than most of our shows. And uh, yeah, so the sort of late night sleepover party theme seemed like something fun to play with. Have you picked out what you're going to wear yet? No, actually, I need to do some shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's at the Roadrunner. Have you, which is, I haven't been there, but I've heard raves about it. Have you, have you been to the Roadrunner yet? Yes. Uh, we played two shows at the Roadrunner this summer, um, both with Devin Gulfillian opening the shows for us. And he's going to be on New Year's Eve as well. So 
that's going to be really fun. And yeah, it's great to see that kind of venue in Boston. Like we went to school in Boston and uh, there wasn't really a venue of that size and sort of style there when we were going to school. So it just brings in a certain a certain range of like touring production wise that like, you know, I guess when you're, when your tour grows and your, your sort of crew grows and stuff, you, you need to find the perfect venues for like the kind of show that you're putting on. And I'd say, this is one that like, just really is right, right where we want to be right now. So. How big is the Lake Street Dive touring team at this point? Well, there's five in the band and there's eight, generally eight crew and then the two bus drivers and the truck driver. Um, so I guess 16 people that are, that are touring. And then occasionally, you know, we'll have other people along managers and, and, uh, stuff like social media people or yeah, just like other people jumping on and off the bus, but that's kind of the standard. And early next year, you'll start with the Gather Round Sounds Tour. Um, can you talk about the format of those shows? Yeah. So we've long done this thing where we would play uh, around one mic instead of at our separate stations on stage and all plugged into amps and that kind of thing. And we started doing it. Um, just for the sake of making live videos, like we would be like, Hey, we want to, um, capture some, uh, video footage of what we do together, but it's hard to get all of the sort of proper studio recording together to do that. So we're just going to get one microphone, stand out on the street and play a song acoustically that way. And that was also kind of one of the first things we got, um, well known for was those style of videos which are different than like our normal show wouldn't wouldn't look exactly like that it would mostly be us standing uh you know further away on the stage and with full drum set and full fully electric guitar rig and and the bass is all all kind of electrified too um but yeah people um seem to really connect with us performing in that format and We've for the last 10 years or so also been doing just a short set of that within our larger set of full production on stage. And so, you know, maybe three quarters of the way through the set, we'll like walk all to the center, all nice and close to each other and just sing around one mic and play acoustically. And so we decided it would be fun. We've been doing that for so long that we've worked up uh, versions of a bunch of different songs in that way. And we also kind of had given ourselves a fun challenge. Uh, we do these like VIP events in our in the afternoons before our shows, which is like a small group of people coming early and we we perform for them just acoustically like that. And we always do it as a request hour. And so whatever song they would shout out, we'd sort of spontaneously have to invent an acoustic version of it, um, which was a really fun challenge. And also, um, led us to some discoveries where we're like, wow, I didn't think that song would work in this way, but it's actually really cool. And it kind of like puts a different flavor on the song that isn't in the other version.
Um, so we wanted to do a tour that was focused on that. And that's going to be kind of the primary setting for the tour. And it'll be more rare that we'll jump out to our sort of full band setup. And we may also have a couple other setups just kind of had the idea of maybe doing a song where it's like, we're all standing around the piano, um, almost like you would at, at your grandmother's house or something like, you know, somebody is just playing the song on the piano and everybody else is singing along. And so that's something we want to do. We might do some like fully acapella songs with no instruments. Um, Mike, our drummer is a great guitar player and I can hack away at a guitar too. So we, we thought of doing like three or four guitar songs where it's almost like <laughs> campfire style, just everybody's drumming and guitar. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, for us, I think it's going to be really fun to, uh, kind of reinvent a bunch of our songs for this format. And, uh, hopefully it'll also like for the audience be a way for them to hear the songs that they might know already, but in a, in a new way. And do you think you'll spend a lot of time beforehand prepping the material for that style or will it develop more on the road? I think some of both okay. we've, we've been prepping a little bit and thinking about some songs we might want to add to the set that we haven't been doing for a while, or, um, even just learning new songs that we've never done before. Um, and then we have a few days before the tour in January that we'll get to spend a little time together, um, putting together these, these new arrangements. Like there is something that we like about the spontaneity that we felt in those VIP events where, someone would throw out a song that they wanted us to do and we'd have to just do it on the fly. And I think we were hoping to capture some of that energy on the tour as well. Um, it's, it's all, we, we may even end up doing some, uh, type of request hour, okay. um, which is a little harder to organize in, in the, you know, when there's two or three, two or 3000 people in the room, <laughs> but, uh, it maybe it would be like, a a text in a request or even like a, a DM on Instagram the day before or something. Um, yeah, but there, there, I think we're, we're doing some prep, but we're also hoping to, um, to keep in some spontaneity and like some possibility for charming, hopefully charming disasters. <laughs> Bruce Hornsby has an interesting way of, taking requests and handling requests where people oh, just yeah? write them on a piece of paper and throw them on stage. Ah. I mean, not a sign, not even a sign. I mean, they just write on a, on a piece of paper, fold it, throw it on stage and he'll just reach down, take a look at, at what people have proposed. There's all sorts That's of ways that, that yeah. people go about it. But I, I like the idea of bringing technology into it and, and having text involved and maybe have it displayed behind you and you can make your picks from there. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, new songs, uh, both in the both in what you just said and in the announcement of, of this show. Um, where are you at with the next batch of songs? Um, we're I think we're we've we're in a phase of casting the net wide. Like sometimes uh, there's, there's multiple writers in the band. And so it feels like a good process for us to just let everybody kind of do their thing for a while, either individually or sometimes in pairs, but not think too hard about like 
what kind of record are we making? Um, or what are the collective themes or styles of the songs? Like it's usually good for us to just see, see where we're at, see what comes out. And then, uh, and then take a look at what we've got and say, what's the common, what's the commonality between these songs and how can we kind of highlight that and maybe write a few more songs that are like supportive of that. Um, and, and then we jump into the studio and, uh, the, everything always changes at that stage too. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're still in that kind of early stage of everybody's working and, uh, you know, we, we haven't even really gotten to learn the songs together yet. Maybe we'll have some of that on the January tour. Maybe not. And you now have a new song. Well, not new. He's been in the band for a couple of years, but um, Aki um, plays a a role in the songwriting process as well. Is is it collaborative or does he submit stuff separately? Um, Our songwriting has become, uh, over time, more collaborative. There was, and we've been a band at this point for 18 years, but like the first probably 12 years of that, we were only writing as individuals and one person would bring in, everybody was writing, but it would be one person bringing in the song and teaching it to the band. And in the last six years or so, we've gotten more into writing in pairs and kind of, uh, mixing up the different pair possibilities within the band. And I find that really interesting because people kind of have their own style as individuals. And then when we started doing this pair thing, it was almost like each individual pair had its own style too, that was different than the two individuals who were part of the pair. Um, and so, yeah, that that's kind of what we've been doing more recently. And it, it may even evolve into a like full band writing experience at some point too. I think we've, we've always been a little bit shy creatively together. Um, we're maybe all just the type of people that like to have some time alone to like get out our bad ideas before we share them with anybody. Um, and so even in in writing in pairs, we don't do it in a room together. Normally we do it like somebody kind of works, works on something for a while on their own and then passes it off electronically like emails it to um to the other person they're going to work with and that person spends some time in a in a quiet dark room alone getting out their bad ideas and then once they have something they think is presentable sends it back um but i think yeah we're we're uh finally maybe in a place where we're willing to be more vulnerable together in a room and and uh it, it could be interesting to see what kind of character of a songwriter that you know, collective person is if there, if it was all of us in a room writing a song, what would that, what would that writer's style be like? You know, I don't know. And do you have time on the books at this point to enter the studio for the next project? Uh, loosely. Yes. Fair, fair enough. (laughs) And, um, without revealing, will you be working again with an outside producer? Uh, I think so. It's for us, uh, we, we really liked the experience of both self-producing and uh, working with producers. And it's kind of nice to like mix those things sure. um, almost like a, I'm, I'm from Iowa. So I th- I'm thinking of it right now as like a crop rotation, you know, you, you have to like, 
you can't put the same crops in the land every year because it'll sort of like eat up a certain type of nutrients. And, uh, and so you put like corn in one year and then the next year on the same soil, you put soybeans. Um, I never knew that. So yeah, like I think getting into the studio and kind of getting to be at the helm of the production side of things is like really feeds our, our souls in a certain way and, and gives us a certain type of nutrition, I guess. Um, and then working with a producer who has their own skill set that we don't have and brings all their talents to the table also is like such a valuable um, learning and creative experience. So yeah, I, I like the idea of those two things being kind of a rotation. It definitely seems like that would be a good good balance. And this would be the first album with James um, Cornelius. Is he? I, I, I keep on seeing him described as a touring member. Um, do you yeah. think he would um, come come into the studio with with you guys at, at this point? So we actually have been in the studio with him. Um, he worked on our most recent EP, Fun Machine, the sequel which came out in the spring and it's just and, all covers. Uh, yeah. It's all covers. It's not, it's not originals, but um, yeah, he was a very awesome creative member of that team um, in terms of like reinventing the songs and uh, coming up with those, those arrangements and those versions. So, so yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be awesome to hopefully get him in the studio for, for the next album as well. My favorite of those covers is Automatic by the Pointer Sisters, which, hey. as Ruby on Blackish noted, is one of the best songs of all time. And I love the tone that you get um, on that song. I mean, what, were you using your Hofner bass for that? I was. Yeah, I just started playing electric bass in earnest about a year ago. Um, and. So I, I played electric bass, like I had a junior high rock band that I played electric bass in. And then when I started getting into jazz, I sort of started to feel like electric electric bass wasn't cool or something because I was just like wanted to be the legit, you know, upright jazz bass player. And so when me and McDuck and Calabrese and Rachel all met in college at New England Conservatory and we we're all studying jazz there. And so we started this band, which... Uh, gradually found its way into being sort of a pop rock soul band. Um, but I just continued to play upright in it just because that was kind of the instrument that I knew the best and could play the best. And so uh, about a year ago, I I finally just got the bug for electric bass and I, I bought my first electric bass, which was a, a Hofner um, kind of McCartney style violin bass um, which is maybe a gateway base to uh, solid body electric bases. It's it's more similar to an upright in its tone. And um, so I was really excited to get into the studio, having uh, spent a little bit of time with that instrument. And also, I think with um, McDuck, our original guitar player and trumpet player, um, with his departure uh and retirement from the band um it felt like an opportunity to reinvent ourselves a little bit um because we we're already going to be going through some musical changes and i guess maybe i had had some resistance before that 
towards like going in an electric based direction, which on this newest DP, I, I felt fully liberated and excited to like try that, try that on for us as a band. And the band was very supportive and yeah, it was super fun. that you recorded that that were you released on fun, fun um uh, uh, on fun machine the sequel but were there any other covers that you recorded that didn't make the cut there weren't any that we made final studio versions of there were some okay. others that we discussed and that we learned and maybe even made demos of um specifically i remember there was a Joni Mitchell song help me that we were oh, thinking about great doing tune. great song. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Certain songs and certain artists are harder to adapt uh, to your own sound and style. And like Joni, I think has such a distinct um, sound and style that yeah. it was, it was, yeah. Like we, we, didn't feel like we wanted to just sort of go in and do it exactly the way that she had done it. Um, although it was really fun and we learned a lot from doing that. I mean, of course, you know, Joni is such an amazing songwriter and, um, it was, it was cool to even just try playing the song, but, um, we didn't really find a satisfactory place that we wanted to take it in terms of like our own spin on it. And so we, that was one we left on the, on the cutting floor. Makes sense. Um, one of the ones that did make it was still the one by Shania Twain. Do you mm -hmm. recall the conversation of how that got brought to the discussion? Yeah. So this was when Aki had just joined the band and he had we we knew him first as a as a singer and a performer of his own music. That's how we met initially was. Uh, we were paired as a show with him for, there was this concert series that was going on that was called Uptown Goes Downtown or Downtown Goes Uptown or something. And it was Lincoln Center was doing a collaboration with Rockwood Music Hall. And so these two different sort of scenes of New York music were were 
doing almost an exchange program or something where they would take shows that would normally be put on at Rockwood and do them at Lincoln Center and vice versa. Um, and so we got paired to do this show with Aki and we're just floored by his performance. Um, he was playing in a duo and, and singing and playing piano and he's, he's just an un unbelievable singer. And so when we hired him as our keyboard player, we were like, well, it'd be a real shame not to have you sing at least one song on the set, you know? Um, and at that stage we hadn't written anything with him. And so he said, well, Hey, I just did this thing with the saxophone quartet for a video that was this Shania Twain song and we slowed it down and um, it's, I've got this kind of, so it was, it was basically like him bringing in that arrangement to the band. Okay. Um, and yeah, he really sings the hell out of it. It's a, it's a true joy. Of, uh, one of my life's highlights is getting to play that song with Aki singing. <laughs> That's great. And it seems like those songs have all kind of entered the live repertoire at this point. Yes, I think they all have. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of covers, uh, oh, incredible Halloween tradition is that Lake Street Dive will prep a, a video featuring a cover um, where you'll dress up and, and play the part. This year's was Traveling Wilburys Handle with Care. Uh, can you discuss the picking of that song? Yeah, um, we were all throwing out ideas and I almost hesitate to share uh, other ideas that we have because they might find their way into future Halloweens. No spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I had, Tom Petty had come to mind for me and I was just texting a friend uh, who is the, knows a lot of cool bands and music and and seeing if, if he had any other ideas and he threw some out. And when I said Tom Petty, he said, what about the traveling Wilburys? Um, and so that one really clicked for us because, well, you have to think about, I think, yeah, the, the, the important things for our Halloween cover is like, if it has some amount of like inherent humor in it, that's helpful because just the fully sincere costume video is maybe a little bit less fun. And so, um, so yeah, it's just with, with those five, uh, it's, it's a super band, you know, so everybody in the, in the group, all five people get a, get a fun, cool costume. And, uh, and it's also a great song. And that's the other thing is it, it has to be like a little bit funny with the costumes, but we really want it to be a great song too. Um, don't want to like throw away, the the video on something that's not like actually mu musically powerful to us as well long before you released it did you film the video uh we filmed that in seattle on our tour in october which was probably around the 15th or 16th okay so it's just a few weeks before and yeah. where did, did you record it during the sessions for fun machine the sequel or separately 
We recorded it live on stage there. Um, Like the video is a live take of us doing it in the hall. And then we like played that live take back and got a couple other like camera angles of us just jamming along to what we had just done. But um, yeah, that's live at the Seattle theater. I forget what it's called where we played, but, um, and then Robin McMillan, who, produced fun machine, the sequel, and also, uh, produced, well, engineered and produced our previous Halloween video, the rooftop Beatles video. Right. Um, he mixed this one. Um, and he is a Jeff Lynn fanatic. So I think he was really stoked to get to like put on his Halloween costume of Jeff Lynn mixing that song. Um, and he did an incredible job. Like it sounds like a studio recording for sure. I can't believe what he made out of that recording. <laughs> and you guys have such diverse sounds that it's fitting that you t- took on the traveling Wilburys where there's uh, this, uh, array of, of different voices coming together. Yeah. As well. It was really fun that everybody got a section to sing on that song too. Well, finally, one one thing I recently was scrolling Netflix and came across this series, uh, Somebody Feed Phil, from uh, one of the co-creators of Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal. And I was shocked and excited to see the theme song was Lake Street Dive. How did you become involved in the project? Um, So Phil, I think, heard of us through... Either T-Bone Burnett or Gabe Witcher, the fiddle player in the Punch Brothers. I I, th- I think Gabe Witcher was who brought our mu- music to T-Bone Burnett. And then T-Bone hired us for a concert years back called Another Day, Another Time that was celebrating the music from the Coen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis, which had an incredible soundtrack with all these um, folk musicians on it. And T-Bone just invited us to perform on that concert, even though we weren't in the movie, we didn't have any songs in the movie and we're not even really a folk band, but he just kind of felt like he wanted to put us on a stage and we were very grateful to, to be there. And it was a pretty important night for us. That's where we connected with none such records. And that's where we connected with uh, our first kind of important publicist, Jim Merlis and, Um, yeah, so it it was a big moment for us. And I think Phil heard us on that doc and called, uh, and called up T-Bone and said, who are these guys? Can you let me know like when, when they're coming to town again? And so after that, we knew him for a couple of years and he would just come to our shows in LA and then take us out to dinner afterwards, which if you've watched the show, you'd know that Phil's a great guy to go to dinner with. He always knows the hot spots. And, uh, and then eventually when, when they were putting the show together and needed a theme song, um, he wrote to us and we were kind of on the road. Like we didn't really, uh, have a lot of time, but it felt like something that would be really fun to get to work on. And so Phil had actually sent us some lyrics for it. Like he, he Ah. threw in some of the lines that kind of, I think the chorus, no, um, he will, he will drive to you. He'll fly to you. That, that part, those were like Phil's ideas, which became like the pre-chorus of the song. And then, um, yeah, so I think we threw that 
a demo of that together, like on stage at a gig in North Carolina or something and sent it to them. And they're like, okay, yeah, cool. So book a studio. We booked a studio in, in Michigan on a day off. Um, yeah. So it's like when, when opportunities like that come to you, it's not always at a good time, but you manage to cram it in one way or another. And yeah, it's been a really nice uh, relationship with Phil. We, we we're good friends now. We see him a lot. And it's, I believe, uh, the, the fourth or fifth season at this point. So it's certainly something that continues to pay dividends and hopefully introduce your music to a number of new people. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah. And uh, we're fans, too. We like to watch it. <laughs> what else uh, in 2023 besides Lake Street Dive do you got going on? I know you have a band, B.B. Wisely. Yeah, I have a band with uh, some other classmates of mine from back in the day at New England Conservatory. They were in school at the same time as me and Mike and Rachel and Mike. Um, so Benjamin Lazar Davis and Will Grafe uh, are my two collaborators in that band. And we just did some touring. Um, we just did a short tour of Mexico. And then Ben and I did just a duo tour of the West Coast. Um, it's they're so great. And it's yeah, it's for me. Um, just nice to have like different uh, collaborators um, that I can work with outside of Lake Street Dive to kind of continue to grow and and just like share other sides of my sort of musical personality. Um, one one kind of music that I like a lot and uh, connect to as a listener is like very sad music. And that's kind of like not as much a part of the Lake Street Dive sound, no. you know, there's sadness in our songs for sure. sure. But but I think uh, overwhelmingly you walk away from the especially the live performance with a, a feeling of of joy. And I love that, too. Um, but it, it's really special to get to play a show where somebody uh, walks up to you afterwards and, and says that was so powerful. You know, I, I felt that way too. And, and, uh, you know, I'm just happy to hear you sing this song about a, something that all humans go through in, in a different way, you know? Um, yeah. So I'll be doing some more of that in, in 2023 and also have some new, uh, solo songs that I'll be putting out at some point. Excellent. Look forward to hearing that. Look forward to catching Gather Round Sounds. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hypothetically, yes. Episode 151 of the Chat Base Podcast. 
thanks to Bridget Carney for taking the time to chat. Catch Lake Street Dive on New Year's Eve in Boston or as part of the Gather Around Sounds 2023 tour. This episode was produced by Jake Alexander. Thanks, Jake. His band Clangin' and Bangin' provides our theme music. Please help spread the word about the Jam Bass Podcast. Tell a friend, leave a rating, subscribe. We hope you enjoy our show as much as we enjoy making it. Thanks for listening and go see live music. Music.